Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about Beast by Judith Ivory. So this book came out in 1997. And it is not a part of any series at all. And full disclosure, we're reading it because, as you guys know from our Lady Sherlock reviews, we love Sherry Thomas. And so we started reading some of her romance novels and Meg reading one of the afterwards because you know I didn't. Well, it's actually in the acknowledgement section. <laughs> oh, sorry. Because you know I didn't read it. <laughs> right. Um, discovered that Beguiling the Beauty, one of Sherry Thomas's books, used this book as inspiration. Yes, she said, I must acknowledge Judith Ivory without whose book Beast, this book would not exist. So... I read this first. So did I. Like upon hearing that. Yes. And I, in fact, I've, I ha, I bought Beast like a long, long time ago, yeah. the paperback version, not because I liked Judith Ivory, but I think I had heard that this was like a really good book. And I was like, okay, I'll get it. I bought it used and I had just hadn't read it. Probably been in my house for like six, seven years. And I was, it was honestly in my donate pile. Cause I was like, well, I'm never going to read this. And then I read that. Um, acknowledgement section and I thought oh let's read this first so we did uh, and it inspired our Beauty and the Beast week so welcome well and not just Beauty and the Beast week but so today we're doing Beast by Judith Ivory and then on Thursday we'll be doing Beguiling the Beauty by Sherry Thomas exactly so we're doing the book that inspired the book and then the book and then the book and then so this week I guess yes it's Beauty and the Beast it's also I guess Beast and the Beauty since we're starting with Beast, Beast. yeah and so, there, there is a beautiful rose on the cover. So this is interesting. So this book was published in 97, and Disney's Beauty and the Beast came out in 92. Right. So um, I think I like the rose on there. And I the, mean, yeah, I mean, obviously the rose is, is in the original too, but still. Um, a Perfect Fairy Tale for Grown-Ups by Susan Elizabeth Phillips is her quote. Thanks, Susan Elizabeth Phillips. Thanks. And then all, the other one is Romance That Seethes with Passionate Intensity, and that was... Amanda Quick. And then on the inside, Pamela Morsey. No one should miss this one. Nice. And FYI, guys, we are going to be talking about a Pamela Morsey book very soon. So, Look at us. Mm-hmm. All right. We're so. going back to the classics, guys. Because oh, I've never read any of them, honestly. I'm mm-hmm. s- like, I picked up the genre so late that I've missed. She's so. missed so much. So much. And honestly, a lot of times I'm happy that I missed it. But every once in a while, there's a diamond in the rough with no rape. (laughs) Okay, let's start with the book jacket. Uh, uh, Beast. An exquisite American heiress, Louise Vandermeer, is beautiful, brilliant, and bored, which is why she has agreed to a daring adventure, to travel across the ocean to marry an aristocrat abroad. Rumor has it her intended is a hideous cad, a grim prospect that propels her into a passionate, reckless affair with a compelling stranger she never sees in the light of day. Though scarred by a childhood illness, Charles d'Arcourt has successfully wooed Europe's most sophisticated beauties. For a lark, he contrived to travel incognito on his own fiancé's ship and seduce the young chit in utter darkness. But the rake's prank backfired. It was he who was smitten, while the hot-tempered Lulu, now his wife, loves only her shipboard lover, unaware it was d'Arcourt all the time. And Charles will never have her heart, unless he can open her eyes to the prince who hides within. 
think this is like the worst book jacket ever? Well, not okay. I have some factual problems with it. Wait, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so first of all, he didn't like on a lark go, I'm gonna get on my fiance's ship and seduce her. Yep. He booked passage under a fake name so he could have sex with his mistress. Also true. And only finds out once they're on board that his fiance is on the same ship. Yeah. Yep. And he's scared about it because he's pretending he's in France and sending his fiance letters from France yep. the whole time. He didn't tell her he was staying in the States or yes. going back on this trip. Yeah. So he's not under a, an assumed identity to seduce her at all. Not at all. Nope. And then also she's called Lulu, hot tempered Lulu. And I mean, her family calls her Lulu, but she doesn't call herself Lulu. He doesn't call her Lulu. And he does briefly. Like once. Anyway, rumor has it her intended is a hideous cad. Also, no. no. Uh, I mean, rumor has it that he's older and not attractive. This book jacket, so we have the one from the internet on the computer and I have the one in my hand, and this one just says rumor has it he's hideous. Hmm, it doesn't say a hideous cad, and so at least that's fair. more accurate. Yes, this, this is true. But yeah, it, this is not, she doesn't decide to have an affair with a stranger because she's afraid her fiance is hideous either. No. So their motivations are pretty misrepresented. Yeah. In this book and then jacket. that's anyway, this, this book is that said the book jacket is also not inaccurate in that she has an affair with this while she's engaged to an, while she's traveling on a transatlantic liner across the ocean to meet her fiance. And she decides to lose her virginity to some guy on the ship who yeah. she never sees his face. And also, this book is broken down into three parts. Mm -hmm. And I only say that now because everything that happens in the summary is like the first half of part mm -hmm. one. Yeah, right, right, exactly. But that's also the only memorable part about this book. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, so as usual, we generated a random number to write our own summaries, and this week's random number was nine. All right, so here's my nine word summary. Psyche slash Cupid plus Beauty slash Beast plus Brideshead Revisited on the Riviera. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, and mine. Uh, proximity leading to passion taken to a whole new level. <laughs> Look, we only had nine words, guys. I, I tried to pack as many allusions to other books you might have read in there uh, to give you an, a slight idea of what you were going to get. I think I just went with the obvious. They're stuck on a boat. Stuck on a boat. They're both kind of bored. And, uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So I have a small tangent. But I want to hear this. It's totally unrelated to the book, but the word beast, especially like on its own, always makes me think of this. So I went to a like really awful public high school okay. and I moved halfway through high school. And so my credits like didn't transfer properly. My last two years were a total like weird situation where I had tons of like free periods mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I'd already taken the classes or they didn't offer them or whatever. I go through all of this because we had something called service learning. Mm -hmm. Did you have that at your high school? Not at my high school now, but I am familiar with the concept. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, it's where instead of a study hall, you volunteer to like provide assistance to a teacher um, in order to get a grade essentially. Mm -hmm. So you're not just in a study hall with a wasted period. And a lot of times that those are the ones who write your college admissions essays. So basically it's like a free period without it being a free period. So anyway, I negotiated 
service learning for this teacher. That's a long story. I'll tell you later. That's not for the podcast. Um, and so at the end, I ended up service learning for two periods and they were all like remedial science courses. Uh huh. And so these are like 15, 16 year olds in high school. Right. Right. And at the end of the year, like semester, she'd get like student feedback and some of it would be anonymous and some of it wouldn't be. And there was this one day I walked in and on her desk was a card and it just said to Miss K, you are the beast teacher. Was she a biology teacher? <laughs> and it was like a general science course that wasn't even a specific like division yeah, of science. You're the beast teacher. But this is like a 15 or 16 year old person. Yeah. It's not like a small child. Yeah. And so whenever I hear beast out of context, all I think is you're the beast teacher. Aww. And I think I looked at her and went, I think I've just lost faith in humanity. And she went, yeah, you should. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. You are the beast teacher. You're the beast but teacher. So, the beast. All well, This is what I was thinking through this novel was like uneducated West Virginia 16 year olds. Yeah. Well, and I will say he is a beast teacher. He is a beast teacher. So we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> so this one's got a lot of tropes. That's a secret identity. Yeah. So he, let's, let's break this down with a summary that makes a little more sense. Let's do it. So he is on, he's a perfumer. Yes. And so, and he's a prince. Yeah. Though the French aristocracy has been dismantled. Yes. So he's not. Sort of. Right. Yes. So like the, it's the same way it is today. Where yeah. They know who would be the aristocracy if this aristocracy still existed. And they can, they like use the titles. Right. But, but he only goes by prince to distinguish him from the other Charles d'Arcourt and his family. Yeah. So he's not actually like going to inherit a kingdom or anything. Nope. Nope. So. Just a kingdom of flower fields. Yeah. So he's a perfumer and he doesn't have a need to marry. He's no. enjoying himself with his mistress. Yeah, he doesn't need to... This is not a book where he marries because he's got to ha- get an heir. Right. So he's not like in any rush to get married, but he meets an American businessman who he, who has ambergris, yeah. which you're going to learn a lot about it reading this book. Yeah, we're not going to get into it. If you want to find out about what it is, how it's made, how it's used, what it tastes like, what it smells like, all sorts of things like that, just read this book. It's great. Um, so basically, the father's like, hey, can I also tempt you to marry my daughter? <laughs> and Charles is like, okay. So basically, after some back and forth, he's like, I'll throw in all my ambergris with my daughter, and that makes Charles be like, actually, yeah, I want that. Yeah, he's like, all right, yes, I will do it. For the monopoly on ambergris... I will marry your daughter. And so, upon visiting his future in-laws, Charles realizes that she's fucking stunning. She's hot as hell. She's 17? Uh, 18. 18. Her painting is all over, and she's like... Not just attractive. She's like, the kind of beautiful... traffic hot. Right. Where, like, people can't talk to her. Like, people, I guess, are just proposing to her all the time. Right. Um, she's just used to walking into a room and having all conversations fall silent so people look at her. So she's crossing the Atlantic with her parents mm-hmm. to, to go, go meet him. And the to reason get her parents him. are marrying this debutante off across the Atlantic is she's a bit of a wild child. Yeah. She's like run away to Montreal to go gambling for the weekend before. Right. And they're trying to find her a suitor who doesn't know about her like yeah. wild escapades. So... She's on this boat with her parents. He's on this boat with his mistress mm-hmm. because he stayed in New York, in America after like going through the official proposal stuff. Right. Basically hang out with his mistress. Her husband's on this boat. Mm-hmm. So he's under an assumed identity so she can sneak off with him at night. And so 
his mistress at dinner realizes that they're on the boat with his fiance, tells him, and this leads to the two of them having a massive fight in the first chapter. Yeah, first so this is one of those books where we've we've read another one recently where in the first chapter or the prologue, the hero of the book is having sex with a woman other than the heroine. Yes. So this is one of those books. But in this case, it's not like a mistress and a good relationship. Yeah, no, this is this, a mistress with a tempestuous relationship. Yes, and so they're having this big breakup. So he's got he's in the secret identity because of carrying right. on his affair with his mistress, but decides to maintain his secret identity when he hatches his plot to seduce his intended. Yeah. And and why does he hatch this plot? Because he sees how beautiful she is and how people react to her, and he basically wants to like take her down a notch. And he's maimed. Yes, he's scarred. So he's trope number two, scars. Yeah, so he's he lost an eye as a child. Yeah, not he lost visibility out of one eye as it's, a child. It's like like imagine it as a like a milky white eye. Yeah, with a scar around it. With a scar around it, and then, and he's got a bum leg from a war. Yeah. I definitely didn't think this was in the 1800s. What are you talking about? The 1900s. No, 1900s. you did. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I know when Waterloo was. I just don't know when this book gotcha. was. Gotcha. We have an age gap. We've been talking about this a lot lately. He is in his 30s. Yep. And she is 18 years old. Yep. Birth control fail. <laughs> I, I've said this a lot lately. You can almost guarantee if one of the characters thinks explicitly about birth control and doesn't use it, or they have an explicit conversation about it, that then it will not be used or Something, it will fail. Yeah, yeah. So in this case, he like passive aggressively decides not to use it. This pissed me off. Yeah, he didn't, he decided not to use it uh, for two reasons. First, because he's gonna marry her anyway, so if she does get pregnant, it'll just be his kid. Yeah. And second, because she, so they're about to have sex and she makes some comment about her fiance and he gets annoyed about it. So he's like, hm, it'll serve her right. Yup. Basically. Isn't that romantic? So romantic. But so the other reason, so he's pissed off that she's so hot. Yeah. While he's so not hot in that he's visibly scarred. Yeah. And he overhears her on the deck one night, like flirting with a young man. Yeah. And he's like, if you want to flirt with someone, you're going to flirt with me. Right. But you're not going to know it's me. Um, I mean, it was a weird scheme. It makes no sense. Um, also trope his crazy ex-girlfriend who is trapped on the boat with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and he's... And sh the crazy ex-girlfriend figures out that they're having an affair. Yeah. But sh Anyway. Why she doesn't just like rat him out to Louise, I don't understand. Well, I think she wants Louise to get taken down a peg too. So she's like, can't wait for her. All right. The big reveal. Um, and then you've got with an aristocrat with an occupation. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. got his perfume. Yes. But it's not like he needs the money. He definitely doesn't need the money. But he, I mean, it's a very, uh, I thought it was an interesting touch. I, I enjoyed the fact that he was a perfume. No, me actor. too. I thought that was super But I think it's cool. funny that most of the time when an aristocrat has an occupation, they make it very clear that he's not working because he has to. Yeah. Yeah. But and he's, he is making plenty of money. As a perfumer, though, right? As well, so it's not like he's not making money off of it. Sure, you know, but he's not marrying her for her money. He's marrying her for her ambergris. For her ambergris, yeah. Okay, so this is the here's a point where Lane and I diverged a little bit. Yeah. So neither of us like loved the plot 
Where the characters? There's like a 17 year age gap. Yeah. The reason he's seducing her makes no sense. Yeah. So <laughs> as you can tell, we didn't, we, neither of us like loved the book. Yeah. On the other hand, I found that the prose had this really interesting, like surprise quality. Like it, it's really surprised me in the way it was written. So I don't know if I would say this is like the best written book ever, but I will say that it was originally written, kept my attention, and I thought it was, I, I was reading it and I was, I thought it was so fun to see how she would write things. You know, I don't, I didn't love this 30, this middle-aged aristocrat marrying a teenager, but if I was gonna have to read that book, I would have wanted it to be written the way this was. I actually found the, prose purple and distracting especially during their romantic exchanges mm -hmm. there were several times she was so enamored with her own like clever wordplay yeah. that i actually didn't know what was happening <laughs> yeah like wait but where i get that you're trying to like get me some evocative sense of desire but like actually where's his dick at this moment because <laughs> i don't know right the first sex scene i literally don't think i knew yeah when he was fingering yeah. her <laughs> and like look it's distracting when I'm literally unable to tell what's going on. I will say, so this book, again, this was written in, what, 97? We said this is a 90s romance. There's, there was no man root, no manhood, nothing like that. It was his penis, his scrotum. But I did notice in this one and the other one that they used unmanned not to mean ejaculate. Yeah. It, like, I've, I've been wrong my whole life about what unmanned means in a romance novel. No, but it's, it's very specific to historical romance. But either way, these are historical romances using unmanned not to mean ejaculation. This is true. This is true. But it was very distracting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think you're the one Come who on. brought that up for me the first time. So <laughs> it, was, it's like, it was Jenny Trout. Okay. But yeah. It's so fine. Jenny yeah, Trout. Yeah, yeah. That's basically you. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, another thing I just I really, 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 I said that a million times, but I especially liked her, the way she wrote France yes. and French. Yes, so totally agree. Charles Charles d'Arcourt, he is French. He's from the south of France. He speaks French. Um, Louise speaks French. A lot of this book happens, takes place in France or they're speaking French. And the way she does it. She never writes like French sentences yeah. and then translates them for you. Very occasionally she'll put a word a in A word French. or two, a, a, an ex exclamation or a phrase. But it's never like a, the book is written in two languages translated back and forth. Never. But the way she has Louise as an English speaking character thinking about French and the slight like difference in translation. Yes. It shows a really in-depth understanding of the language. Yes. That was very evocative in a good way. I'll, I'll give her credit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I thought, I thought it did this great job. So this isn't the point of the book. The point of the book is not that they have a, a cross-cultural relationship. Right. But they do. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, that is a, a part of their relationship is the fact that they come from different cultures. Right. And the way she writes their relationship with language and then how they interact with each other. Because on the ship, when they're having this romance, the romance, it takes place entirely in English. Right. And then when they go to France, their relationship is conducted entirely in French because he knows if he speaks English with her, she will immediately realize who she 
had sex with. So let's just spoil one little thing. Yeah. His secret identity on the boat is as a pasha, or she thinks of him as a pasha. She calls him a pasha. He says he's he's an Arab. Right. That he's from North Africa. So he claims to be a North African Arab speaking English with her. Right. And he he says he doesn't speak French. And then when they get to France, he claims to not really speak English. Right. So that's how he was trying to get away with this double identity. Right. Um, but that'll just be mentioned when we get to offensiveness. So I want to lay the groundwork, but I, I really thought that the way they interacted with language and then how that affected their relationship with each other was just really well done. And this is, this is why this is for me, it was really well written in that way. And I think it was one of the few ways that this book compared favorably to beguiling the beauty. Mm. Because Beguiling the Beauty, when we get to it on Thursday, gender swaps it. Yes. And ages them. Yes. Which, thank you. Thank you. Um, But this one, in that book, they conduct their entire relationship on the ocean liner in German Mm -hmm. and then in English once they get to England. And it just didn't have the same evocative language in terms of linguistic differences. And then, so not only is she obviously so, so familiar with the language that she can make the this this difference obvious even when she's writing all in English, uh, just her knowledge of the geography of France, mm-hmm. where they're doing. So he's a perfumer. So of course he lives near near Gus, which is where all the perfume in France is. And then they have a party in Es, which is like right nearby. I don't know. I used to live there. Everywhere they mentioned was it's so so well done. Um, so just very very impressed. Yeah, it was it was definitely. I, I don't even want to say well researched because I don't think this was the kind of thing she would research. No. I think it shows a real knowledge of the language and the land. Exactly. And there's even a time where she talks about like the southern French accent. Yes. For example, which was perfect. I mean, perfectly written. If I were going to write the way the southern French accent sounds, I would have written it the way she did. It was perfect. Yes. Perfect. Just so well done. Nothing but praise. Okay. Um, I think I speak for both of us when I say we disliked both the hero and the heroine. Let's talk, say why. She's a petulant 18-year-old who has sex with the first random on the boat Mm -hmm. (laughs) who doesn't act like a child. Yeah. And he's a passive-aggressive 35-year-old man who is marrying an 18-year-old. And like, and he's man- so insecure about his looks, right? As a thirty-five-year-old man, mm-hmm. that he's willing to like manipulate and lie to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they suck. They suck. Both of them. These are some shitty characters. Yeah, <laughs> but not in the sense that they're poorly developed. No, they're. That's the thing. Like, and that's why I say she's a good writer because she she writes Louise so well. Like, what a spoiled little 18-year-old Brett. And yet, my God, it was she was perfectly written. No, the characterization was good. Like I said, for my, my problem with her prose was more in, like, description. The characters were very well developed. That said, especially Louise, I didn't like being in my own head at 18. Yeah. She is such a well-written 18-year-old that I couldn't stand her perspective. Yes. Yeah. I, there, and there wasn't much from her perspective... Um, once they get to France. No, but on the boat, there's, on the boat, there's so much. Yeah. Um, once they get to France, she's just tired a lot. Yeah. So so I did write this example of her prose. Yeah. So, so basically, I, I would never, none of us are ever going to, hopefully no one in this world will ever be in Charles's situation, which is you are now married, you're now 35, married to an 18-year-old who you fooled into having sex with you, and then you didn't tell her who you were, and now you can't have sex with her even though you're married because you don't 
don't want her to figure out what happened. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> he's hanging out. He's having this tough time, like, figuring out what to do with his life. <laughs> and so for, here, here's an example of, of somehow she writes this guy in this situation where completely unbelievable. You'd never be in. And, and you don't yet, even feel bad for him. No, you don't feel bad for him. But she writes it and you think, yeah, I have been there. Yeah. But I've 100% been there. So this is what she writes. He sat outside in the September night air, wearing trousers and a long frock coat and nothing else. His chest cold. But he was too lazy or moody or something to get up and get enough clothes to make himself comfortable. Like, we have all just been, I don't know, watching TV. Mm -hmm. And like, you're uncomfortable, but you are just too, I don't even know what. Yep. To actually move and yep. make your situation better. Yep. Like, we've all been there. Yes. So, I don't know. I just thought it was so well done. And, and what other, like, when you when you learn about creative writing, what are you supposed to, you're not supposed to write the word something in your prose. And yet, it it's perfect. Right, because he's too lazy to come up with the right word in that moment. Exactly. So well done. Anyway. Okay. I, we said there were three sections of the book. I think they were well they delineated. Were, yes, they were well delineated. There was a theme for each one, and I think the theme came through in each book. Yeah, so the first section is them on the boat. Mm -hmm. And that is the joke. The second is their relationship. Meeting and marriage. Yes. And then the third... Which is, which is, is pettered, as in hoist with your own. Yes. And then the third section is Beast. when she... Spoiler alert! Figures out she's pregnant, and he's jealous and nuts, and then they resolve everything. Yeah. And that section is called Beast. I, I yeah. Honestly, the strength is the wrong word. I didn't enjoy this. But all of my strong memories of the book are the first section. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, like, for me, it's, it's, it is not, it is when they get to France. <laughs> well, right. But like, yeah. I feel like their dynamic. Like you said, after they get off the boat, she sort of disappears. She does, and it's mostly Charles's perspective. And I think for me, it got really boring. Like I sure. can the the descriptions of France were great, but you no longer have this back and forth between the characters. They're barely interacting. They they barely talk to each other. Well, He's they, basically trying to figure out what how to deal with the situation that he's created. And this is, he basically alternates between moping by himself and like jumping her in public in spite of her actual protests. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, okay. I think that's why the front, because at least in the first section, they're both actively engaged in the plot. Yeah. And then after that, they're not. Yeah. I, I liked, really liked the setting. I really liked that it was set in France in the early 1900s. Yeah. I liked the transatlantic. I just really liked the setting. <laughs> Do I like the characters who interacted and did things in the setting? No, but I, I liked the setting. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I, I liked aspects of this book. I liked the prose. I liked the setting. I, I thought the characterization was really well done. Yes. I'll agree with that. Um, did not like the plot. Did not like how long it took for him to come clean to her because literally it is like the, the last book. The last page. And maybe that's why this last two sections were so forgettable to me. Because yeah. it's just the same context, com, like conflict repeated yeah. over and over and over and over. And over. Again. It, it never resolved. Um, I 100% saw more Psyche Cupid than Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, the only Beauty and the Beast parallel 
was I feel like the flowers, the jasmine that yes. only bloomed under certain circumstances, being right. an obvious parallel of the rose, right? And the fact that he was disfigured. Yeah, that was it. And she was real hot. She was real hot. Real hot. Yeah. So I mean, so yes, she was beautiful, and he was ugly. Um, but that's the same in Psyche and Cupid, and True. Um, the flowers. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I'm just it. trying to think, like, I don't know that Beauty and the Beast is the first thing that would have come to my head. No, no. For me, it was Psyche and Cupid. Yeah. But, you know, then I thought to myself, maybe that's, like, the origin story of Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. Hmm. Mm. I mean, I'm sure it influenced yeah, it. They're, they're, clearly... all, they're all out there, so. All right, offensiveness. We've got a lot of things to be offended about. All right. So, as we mentioned, he is pretending to be an Arab. And, um... All of her thoughts about him are like real racist. And yes. and here is the thing. It is racist partially because of when this book was set. Louise's thoughts are all racist. Yes. Now this I think this is completely in character for the time period, for her age and her being sheltered. But the author could have done a better job. Exactly. Like, distinguishing the perspective of the character from modern ideas. Exactly. And there are plenty of books that do it really well. I think about this all the time with Amelia Peabody. Yes. Because clearly Amelia is a product of her time, if a bit anachronistically progressive, but you don't doubt that Elizabeth Peters doesn't agree with Amelia. Exactly. And like here, I'm not a hundred percent sure Judith Irie doesn't agree with. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not, this is not a defense of the book. Me saying that Louise's racism was totally in character. Right. No, I'm not defending the book in any way because someone actually wrote this book and didn't put anything in there that might have put into question the thoughts that Louise was having. Right. So, Anyway, FYI. And not only that, but the fact that her nickname for him is so, like... My Pasha. Problematic? Yeah. Yeah, not great. Um, so, that was great. Um, obviously, he's lying about who he is. So, obviously, n- not a single one of their sexual encounters can be considered consensual in any way. Yeah. Even after he, they have... So, they do have sex once after they're married in, in his actual identity. But this might be the worst one. Yes. Because... He, they, so, she says, out of respect for me, let's not have sex. Right after getting married, I want to get to know you. I'm having trouble adjusting. Whatever, whatever. And he's getting increasingly agitated. You mean like, horny? Well, but also, like... Pissed. Pissy. Like, he's not touching her, so when other guys talk to her in public, he, Mm -hmm. like, loses it. Mm -hmm. To the point that he, like, feels her up at a house party while her mom is watching. Yeah. And is super gross of obsessed about the whole thing. And finally, he just sort of snaps. He gets drunk. and He gets drunk and pulls her into his bed. And he actively thinks, I can't tell if she's resisting me or not. Flips her on the side. Penetrates her is holding her down and you're in his perspective and he's actively thinking i don't know if she is struggling to enjoy this Mm -hmm. or struggling to get away from this right so so he has no idea yeah and so so even when the secret identity is you know removed removed still not sure if this is a real consensual encounter and like obviously then you end up in her perspective and she's like i'm so glad he finally lost control with me into it that is a problem sure Sure. I don't know that losing control to the point that he's no longer sure if you're consenting or not and has stopped caring if you're consenting or not is sexy. And by that, I mean, I'm sure it's not. (laughs) So what we're seeing is in our sexiness sections, we did not find this book very sexy. 
Um, yeah, all the sex happens on the boat except for that one scene that is, uh, in my mind, rape. Yeah. Also, the, the, the defloration scene was freaking weird. Yeah. It was weird. It was really weird. And I was really disappointed that she was a virgin. I wasn't because she was 18 and super sheltered minus her own escapades where she always had a maid. Yeah. I don't know. I was just really disappointed because she was she was talking a big game. That's true. And then it turned out that she just had like made it to third base or something. Yeah. And I was like, whatever, Louise. Yeah. But I, on the other hand, total 18-year-old thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> totally in character for her, I think. But I also I don't know. I, I just didn't buy their dynamic. Yeah. Like, you're telling me in all of her running around the world without her parents, she never found anything as enticing as this dude in the dark? Because clearly she would have gone through with it. She did go through with it. She did. Yeah. And he was a dick. I don't know. Anyway, I just, I didn't like it, but I thought it was really interesting. Yes. That's, that is pretty much where I fall as well. Yeah. I'm not disappointed that I read this book. No. Especially knowing that it, it was the inspiration for Beguiling the Beauty. Yeah. So I, I think I'm really glad that I read it for that reason too. Yeah. But it's, this is not going to be one of my favorites that I ever reread. It's not sexy enough. No. The sex is not sexy enough. Nope. The concept is not sexy enough. Nope. And I just don't really like 18 year olds. Yeah. Or assholes. Yeah. And not in real life, not in books. I know. It's weird. <laughs> so weird. But yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next time with the next entry in our Beauty and the Beast week.